to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Well, hello, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks. I'm delighted to be your host. I'm a transformation specialist working with retailers and brands to help drive positive and successful transformation. Understanding the core challenges, defining the right solutions and operating models, and encouraging great collaboration to really accelerate progress. And ultimately, improve your customer experience and deliver for your bottom line too. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or from the show notes if I can help you accelerate your retail transformation, or if you'd like some support to navigate the complex and challenging journey of change. Thanks for tuning in today. This one is episode 241, number 241. Shop Talk Europe was a fantastic event in Barcelona a few weeks ago now, in early May 2023, and it brought together people from all over the retail industry. You know, it's a big ecosystem, and it was absolutely jam-packed with fantastic meetings and loads and loads of unique content, a mix of fireside chats, keynotes, and of course, panel discussions. So I'm delighted to be catching up with Shop Talk's Ben Miller, who is director for original content of Shop Talk and Grocery Shop. Previously, Ben was at IGD, taking on a number of different roles, particularly around insights and understanding how the retail market is changing and evolving. And we're going to be reflecting on and building on a number of the different content aspects that we heard and experienced ourselves at Shop Talk Europe. So I do hope you enjoy Ben and I not reminiscing about the event, but actually moving it forward as well. It's a fantastic conversation coming up. Do check out the show notes today at obandco.uk slash 241 and sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing, which is my free email newsletter, which comes out every single week, helping you understand the evolutions and trends within the retail market as they happen. By highlighting the key transformation headlines from around the world, you'll gather insight along with some expert tips to help you transform successfully. Sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing and find out more about Ben Miller and Shop Talk on the show notes at obandco.uk slash 241. So without further ado, let's jump into this fantastic conversation with Ben. Enjoy listening. Well, I'm delighted to be sitting down with Ben Miller from Shop Talk. Ben, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. How are you? I'm very well, Ollie. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Absolutely. Well, we were together just fairly recently, actually, of course, for the fantastic Shop Talk Europe event. And we're going to be reflecting on some of the ideas that we heard or were inspired by at the event. So really looking forward to diving into this. Should we jump straight on in? Yeah, and and really looking forward to hearing all your thoughts and perspectives and reflections from the event as well, Ollie. Fantastic. Well, absolutely. We've got got lots to lots to get through. So where I wanted to start was thinking about data. We've been talking about data in the retail industry for 
quite a long time now, really. And many retailers have been on a, a big data transformation journey. Of course, many are still going on that journey, powered by the prospect of AI. But I wanted to reflect on one of the panel sessions where we heard from Alan, who is the Chief Technology Officer at H&M. And he was talking about learning to trust the data and letting it tell you the story rather than trying to build a story based on what you already think. And I think this is so true. This really resonated with me because too often have I seen data being used as, here's my point. Now I need to find the data that supports my point. <laughs> is, that, is that something you've come across, Ben? Yeah, I, I think it's a, re- a really interesting point. And that, that was a fascinating conversation. So I think Alan Bain is who, and, until very recently, Chief Technology Officer globally for H&M, and now is just transitioning into a, a wonderful sounding role where he is going to become, and forgive me, Alan, if I don't get this quite right, I think it's some future technology advisor to the chief executive, which is basically he spreads his time between Sweden and, and, and San Francisco, mm. one foot in Silicon Valley and, and the other foot in, in the H&M parent company, which gives him some fascinating perspectives. And we talked a lot about data, data from a, a cultural perspective. So how do you unlock a, a culture within a large 80 country organization, mm. stores and online, um, eight different brands. So how, how do you get a culture? He talked a lot about decentralization and empowerment. How do you get the right people? And he talked a lot about recruitment and re- recruiting data scientists and the importance of that. But you're right, he had this fascinating point about we are at the stage now of understanding that we can develop tools, that the data can create the hypothesis rather than you use data to prove them. So the first stage in that process is not the human to come up with the idea and you just go into the data to try and Mm. prove it, but actually how can you change a corporate culture to use data and to have processes that create the ideas and show you the way. And it reminds me, so maybe, gosh, 20 years ago, I would uh, used to do training and category management Mm. and insights back in the grocery world. And I had a colleague that every time we would run a a category management training session would would have a say, and I'm going to get this wrong, so let me try and get this right. (laughs) They, they, They would say, let me try and get this right. Make sure you don't use data like a drunk uses a lamppost. Use it for enlightenment, not support. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we're we're at the latest stage of that. And what Alan had done is she's taken this one step further is rather than we can now have through AI and machine learning, we can now have systems and processes that provide that illumination. Mm. And that's, that's, really exciting and i think you know what we heard it we heard it from alan where he talked about three major digital transformations for society mm. you know the first being the internet the second being the mobile phone that put the internet into everyone's pocket yep. and then the, and then the third being generative ai so big bold statements what was then really interesting is uh, I'm not sure if you were you in the conversation that we had with Elodie Patrizzo. No, I missed that one. Unfortunately. On, 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 ah, so El- Elodie it sits on the Global Executive Committee at CAFOR, mm. and 
She has responsibility for e-com. She has responsibility for digital transformation and responsibility for data. And then how you bring those three together. And we, we're talking about how CAFL has built up a 10 billion line data lake. So they've built this incredible- <laughs> The numbers are just bonkers, aren't they? <laughs> this, this incredible data asset, which she, they believe is one of the biggest in mm. Europe and reflecting you know, the spread and the scale of CAFOR, she's probably right from a retail perspective. And what she was saying is that you know, AI and generative AI has this incredibly transformative power to be able to unlock- this data layer that they developed, but she was also incredibly honest that right now, as we sit here, um, sort of May you know, 2023, when the conference was, we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know how we're going to unlock it, but we can see the potential mm. and you know, building the people, the capability, the infrastructure, the skill set to be able to do it is going to be one of the big trends over the next over the over the coming weeks and months. Yeah, um, and this was on the, this was this was you know, LED was on day three of the event because on day two of the event she'd been in Tel Aviv announcing that Kafor had just signed a, a series of partnership agreements with six different Israeli startups. Mm. One of them was AI Twenty One Labs, who who are a generative AI data interpretation organization. They were speaking at. Shoptalk Europe as well. They're on on our tech tracks, and and you know she was talking about the importance for CAFOR of having these ag- agreements and partnerships, which is all about learning because they just don't know where the end point of this journey is going to be, yeah. but they have to be involved because it's such an important journey. I, and I thought that honesty it was really refreshing. Absolutely, and I I heard several retailers say, you know, I don't know, I don't know the answer, right? And actually, you know, as we're starting to think about data and technology in all forms, by the way, not just AI. Actually, I think there's a really big, I suppose it's a, it's half skill, half mindset of curiosity, which is, is it's one of my passion topics, actually, that I am continually intrigued by, continually curious about. I had a, an old manager that asked me, how do we inspire curiosity in the team? And that sort of has stuck with me continually. And I think it's a really interesting topic about how do we become curious? How do we become open to learning? How do we become also open to being wrong about our preconceived ideas, our hypotheses and say, actually, you know what? I thought this was going to happen. And turns out the data's told me I'm wrong, not the data's wrong because I know what's right. <laughs> I, I think it's a really good point. And it challenges, you know, we heard conversations about it challenging and continuing to challenging some of the you know conceptions and previous ways of working of of, of planning and project management of you know, setting the endpoint and then putting a roadmap together and putting goals mm. to get there and, and very structured six 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 sigma etc cetera, etc cetera. you know I, I know on on your previous episodes you know Ollie, you've talked about you know, agile and agile in retail mm. you know we had leader after leader talking about not knowing where the endpoint is going to be, but about iterating, testing, and learning. Mm. We had, I don't know if you were in the session with Neil Aurora from Nestle. Neil runs e-commerce globally for Nestle, world's biggest food company. And Neil talked about trying to move to just three-month planning cycles because uh, things are moving so fast. And that, you know, for an industry in the grocery industry, 
built on joint business planning, twelve cycles, you know, locking in Christmas, you know, about mm. now, really, to then say actually no, we can only move in three months because that's the that's the pace of development yeah. of technology. Yeah, it's mass, massive cultural change, which I don't think we can underestimate. Well, we've seen this, uh, I suppose, acceleration of retail ways of working in several different forms. You know, traditionally in the fashion industry, you'd have this huge long lead time, which the likes of Zara came in and ripped up with the fast fashion model. And then more recently, the likes of Shein have come in and arguably ripped that up even further, right, as we get faster and faster. And I think it's really interesting as you're talking about for example, trading practices within commercial teams, physical retailers that have to go through, you know, maybe item level pricing or, you know, huge price shifts. It's a difficult decision and one that you want to be much more strategic and thoughtful about. And then you have companies that come in, particularly e-com companies, let's be honest, can, you know, have, have a discussion, flick the switch on price and it's changed instantly. And this sort of rapid highly dynamic shift of all parts of ways of working is is a really fascinating area that you know as we continue to move into a, a VUCA world you know VUCA being volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous you know this unknown future that lies ahead of us we have to be able to just work with it and whatever it throws and I think you know this this agility to your to your point is crucial both in what we do and how we do it and there was a number of conversations across the piece at the event about about the how. Okay, how do we do this? How how do we get quicker as an organisation? How do we become more agile? Oh, oh, one of the really interesting things. So you know, we touched a bit of generative AI. You know, if we're talking about hype cycles, you know, this time last year we we're at kind of peak hype cycle for metaverse, <laughs> and. <laughs> And it's been really interesting to follow it f- through the flow of recent Shop Talk events, where it's gone from peak hype to no one wants to talk about it, to people then were prepared to talk about it, but almost mocking, to then actually let's let's start unpicking the, some of the underlying technologies mm. and understanding the individual user cases. And there were some fascinating conversations that took place at this event, including some work that we'd encouraged our uh, and supported our partners at, at CoreSight Research to do, which was looking at the use of Web3 technologies in the supply chain and in B2B environments. And if you talk about that, how do you unlock some of the fast fashion trends, i.e. speed of design, get the fit right, make sure it gets to the factories really accurately so the factories can get that cut done. You don't need to send samples back and forward across continents to make sure you've got your fit and your cut just just right. How can you model all that using web free technologies to, to make these supply chains and lead time shorter and shorter? It's really interesting seeing how digital twins and blockchain technologies, augmented reality are playing a role in retailers to unlock mm. these things. So, okay, is is the future of the metaverse, you know, the Walmart world in Roblox or Decentraland? <laughs> you, you know, we can we can debate that one, but you know, should should we yeah, let's not be negative about some of those underlying technologies because they can really help drive some of this digital transformation within retailers in, in a completely new way, which is which I think is really fascinating. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, it'd be easy to take any any one of those technologies, right, and come up with reasons why it wouldn't work. But I'm really being reminded of Amara's law, which is saying that we tend to overestimate the impact of technology in the short term. So we get very excited by it. And then we underestimate the impact in the long term. So we actually miss the true meaning of it. And, you know, I think all of these technologies absolutely are going to follow this this same concept, right? Probably AI and metaverses included. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Cool. Should we shift it up and move on to a, a, a different topic? Let's. Let's think about convenience. So at the event, there was a, a, a fantastic panel about convenience and about how actually convenience is changing in and by itself, right? I was delighted to to hear from Tracy Clements, who is at BP, former Tesco colleague as well. Yes, of course, and of course. And a real legend in the retail industry, I, I might add as well. And Tracy was explaining about some of the shifts that she's experiencing at BP, namely the shift from petrol and diesel vehicles to EV, and actually how that really is shifting up the whole customer experience, and even customer segments as well, right? And I think this is a really fascinating element because suddenly you've got this business model of petrol forecourts and so on that has been pretty untouched for a huge amount of time. You know, we've we've gone from the service point where someone fills up your car towards a self-service point, and that's about it, right? <laughs> and I think this this shift to 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 EV is is a fascinating one because suddenly you've got yeah different customer dynamics coming in. You've got, as Tracy was saying, customers coming in not for just three or four minutes, but for 20 minutes. Yeah. And I think this this is very exciting because, it, it, again, it changes the rule books. It's difficult because suddenly all of your assumptions in your current business model, location, size of store, where do you want to, you know, position store, et cetera, charging models, payment models that by that I mean <laughs> all all change and it's 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 enormous shift really for any company, BP in this instance and, and other petrol petrol providers, that I think we could see a, a big change in that market over the next five or ten years. What's your take on this area? Uh, and I thought that was a really interesting conversation. I think in in, in Tracy's role who She's CEO of their convenience operation across Europe, so has a very, very good view of the retail operation. At the same time, she runs their EV charging network, so she has responsibility of the mm. two and how you and how you bring the two together. And it is, it will be hugely transformative. And. I think there's a couple of things that I thought were really interesting in that conversation. One was you've got some of the some of the obvious. So the obvious is your dwell time's gonna increase, you're gonna need bigger size because you've got cars waiting. Therefore, you need a a retail proposition for those people who are waiting, which will lean further into food service. So you know, already BP for their relationships with M and S with Wildbeing Cafe have, have, in their own proposition have been doing that uh, in the UK and uh, AHL behind to go in the Netherlands or Raver to go in uh, in Germany. They're already leaning into some of this, so that 
is interesting. But if you start building it out and making sure you have a proposition that lends itself to browse time, well, what are the other missions that that caters to? And that's where the relationship with Uber Eats, for example, mm. who are also on that panel, connects in. That if you have a proposition for people who want to hang around for 20 minutes, then you're going to have to get good on coffee and pastries, that sort of thing. Well, you've probably got a delivery element for that as well. So it, it spreads out the potential partners and it changes the role that some of these stores uh, so many stores can play. So that that was really interesting. You then think about the technology. So hands in the air. I'm an EV driver. I've been a. I was a relatively early adopter. My my EV's coming up four years old. As they keep telling me, as they keep ringing me up to want to replace it. <laughs> but one of the things you learn really quickly if you if you have an EV is the complexity of charge. Mm. So the number of different apps that you need to carry, you know, it's, it's, it's bad enough when you try and park your car. Every time you go to a different car park, you need mm. a diff- different app. Well, when you have a charger, you, a number of different accounts you need, you know, the lack of visibility about how good any of the charging yeah. points are going to be, how quick they're going to be. So the opportunity for someone like a BP to use their scale to invest in, fast, they've got to be fast chargers, but then, then to have the app that enables payment of that to be really efficient, then how do you link that app to the loyalty app and how do you link the loyalty to your in-store payment? Mm. And that was one of the things that I thought Tracy was really interesting on, that how do you sort of bring the retail element and the EV element together? So there was, there was some, I thought there was some really interesting perspectives. The other thing that I thought was fascinating in that conversation and that all the conversations at Shop Talk aim to be kind of future looking and it was great to get this future focus. All the panel conversations are sort of 40 minutes in length and some of them you just wish you could have more time to run on. <laughs> because one, one of the other people on that panel w- was Neil yeah. Reynolds, who is VP in, in, in the e-com business, uh, runs the e-com business globally for Mars yes. Wrigley. Yeah, convenience category, so really interesting synergy in, in, in that conversation. But with Neil, the thinking then went beyond the, you know, QCOM as a channel, and we had that with Uber mm. Eats and uh, and Queens. But into as a brand owner, you know, convenience is showing up wherever your customer wants to engage with your product, yes. and then finding a way to be able to satisfy and fulfil that order, and and that means being higher up in higher up in the funnel, higher up in consideration, and how as a brand owner you play in that consideration space, which starts to then go into owning the path to purchase. And that's fascinating. And we heard that a little bit from Soraya, who's European president of Diageo. Mm. So Soraya, who who did one of our keynote conversations, and she talked about as Diageo, as a premium spirit brand, how do you ensure that your touch points are premium from the first point they come into the category and the first part of consideration and that's about and that's increasingly digital and i think you know, people talk about 90 percent of first connections with a brand are now digital so how do you get that you know for her premium for anybody how do you get your brand standard right and then as a brand owner how do you take the shopper on a journey that is consistent with your brand and then allows their purchase to be fulfilled almost agnostic of the retail channel or outlet where it is fulfilled. And when we're in a place where, you know, look, one of the other things that was spoken about extensively at the event was retail media mm. networks. Retail media networks is all about monetizing the path to purchase for a retailer. 
you can see the brand owners thinking, well, how do we control it? So we're not reliant could be one way or it could be how do we better serve our customer and that dynamic i think we are at yeah we've had one to get two amazon on us we're literally at day one and, I, and that's gonna be that's gonna be fascinating to watch how that plays out yeah it is it is absolutely fascinating and it's it's a really interesting one because retail media arguably could be a distraction or it could be a huge opportunity right depending on who you are and i think the whole shift from you know let's call it classic retail world where you had retailers and brands and the brands sold to the retailers on wholesale and didn't really care who the customer was because the customer was the buyer, right? In the commercial team. And actually now where we're in a place that suddenly many, many brands are wanting to know and have a relationship with, with customers, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a Nike or whether it's a, a Mars Wrigley or any other brand under the sun, right? And I think this dynamic between Retailer and brand is increasingly tense as well, particularly, you know, I'm thinking about what Nike did, I think maybe was it last year or maybe two years ago, where they pulled out of a lot of classic retail contracts and partners to say, actually, we want to be a really limited place in the market rather than just overexposed. And with this D2C piece, I think it's it's really interesting. But at the same time, you know, bringing it back to convenience, we want to make it easy for customers, which depending on what product type it is, do you want to have to go to 100 different retailers <laughs> or companies yeah. to, to, to fulfill all your purchasing desires? And, and I think, I think Nike, Nike have done a stunning job of owning that path to purchase. Mm. And, you know, we, we've seen Adidas doing that and they spoke a little bit, you know, had a couple of Adidas yes. speakers at the event to, to, talking about you know, some of the work that they've been doing in, in the space as well. And I think it's it's interesting to take a couple of perspectives because, fine, if you're Mars or Nike or Adidas and you've got that brand, okay, you can do a that. proper world-leading really brand, but there's probably... 10 or 15 exactly right, in the world. exactly great <laughs> if you're apple um but you know what we also heard and you know we make sure at shop talk there's content for all, all all sizes and scales of business no matter where you are on the journey in development to talk about actually the benefits of working with marketplaces that some you know, some brands are, are are getting so. Yeah, you know, if stick stick with fashion for a while. One one of our keynotes was Robert Gens, you know, co CEO and co founder of Zalando. Uh, so really interesting hearing from Robert about the latest at Zalando. But probably what I found more interesting was was talking to about to um, you know a small British based apparel business, quite specialist, who last year decided to to go onto the Zalando platform. And they talked about their experience, and their experience was that it really drove them to raise their game because the standards that were required, the speed of fulfillment that Zalando mm. expects anybody on their platform to be able to give as part of their brand promise, required them to go back and look at their fulfillment, to look at their delivery partners, to look at their internal process, and Zalando supported mm. them through that process. Um, so, you know, there was companies that talked about. We had a D2C strategy. D2C was all about test and learn and get the data. <laughs> well, actually, we, we, we've pivoted that into a marketplace strategy, and we use marketplaces as our opportunity to test and learn, but to do it at scale because the number of people passing through these marketplaces is so much broader. Others saying, we want to be on these marketplaces because it's helping us develop our capabilities mm. as an organization. Did you get other ones like Nike saying, actually, we don't, we don't want to be on 
we don't want to be on any mm. channel that, that isn't our own. And, and understanding that spectrum and um, what's right for you and what, what isn't. And then, yeah, coming back to that retail media conversation, obviously Zalando were talking about their retail media yeah. and there was, there was an amazing stat that we shared, which is the kind of IEB, so the Marketing Association across Europe, currently estimate that the spend on TV advertising across Europe now is 27 billion euros mm. a year. And they expect that retail media to be about 25 billion euros in three years' time. Wow. So in three years' time, they expect the retail media market to be the same as the TV market currently is, there and thereabouts, which I find kind of... Oh, yeah. And what's the, what's the TV market going to be in, in that time as well? It's, you know, it's tra- transformative it, exactly. in terms of much broader than retail and you know i'm sure we can all imagine what that could mean in terms of you know everything from creativity and actually how do you get your brand messaging out there and so on there's there's a huge amount to rethink and you know be curious about to to, to, to hop back to earlier in the conversation a hundred percent and and it's uh, one of the things i found really interesting was that was the conversation around retail media was completely different here in barcelona than it was in our wow our really shows so if you if you take a step back and think what's driven retail media in the US be completely driven by retailers having to compete with with Amazon because the scale of Amazon in the US dom- yep. it, it dominates the retail market and you know if you yeah I'm, I'm sure uh, I'm sure all your listeners are are close to the profit composition of Amazon, where you know, the majority of the margin comes from AWS and uh, and Amazon yes. advertising, so the, these adjacent revenue streams are, are, are driving the profit. Although it's interesting here in Amazon on on the stage in Barcelona, talking about their ambition to be profitable irrespective of adjacent revenue streams, which uh, is one of the first times I've heard that said quite so explicitly. <laughs> but yeah, you know, but but whether it's Walmart Connect or Kroger with 8451 or Target with Roundel. You know, these retail media networks have, have grown up to try and uh, initially monetize some of the search, which is what Amazon advertising at its core is. It's, it's monetizing search on, on their website. And, and now there's additional services being added on. In Europe, we come from a different place. So obviously, Amazon is really important customer, depends on the categories and the markets, et cetera, et cetera. But the potential of retail media is being looked at really differently. It is almost, okay, number one, how do we incorporate our physical stores within this? And number two, how do we provide a service and a value that is there for kind of non-endemic brands, so brands that aren't already in our stores and on our platforms? So we heard a lot of talk about standardization to make it more efficient for advertisers. We, We heard a lot of talk about in-store integration. We heard a lot of talk about creating advertising platforms, media platforms, rather than retail media networks. And I think that could be fascinating. I mean, it, it comes with this huge watch out of kind of eyes off the ball, which every retailer posed that question to was obviously on the front foot to want to say, no, 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 we put the customer <laughs> first. But yeah, to, to add the value 
it could be fascinating if you could bring some of the benefits of a retail media network, that closed loop, coming back to mm-hmm. data, first-party data, attributable sales, which is what marketers desire, unique audiences, scale, innovative creatives, link it to live streaming, link it to install screen, you know, these, all those really clever things and have it as a separate entity rather than something that gets tagged onto the bottom of any commercial agreement, that could be really interesting. So we'll, uh, again, whether that will be how it plays through, we'll see. But there was, it's a different, it's a different conversation to the one we're hearing in the US. Yeah. I mean, firstly, I think it's really fascinating that there is that difference between two relatively similar markets on the face of it, right? But I think as you start to explain and explore how all these different elements fit together into a complex system, suddenly it really starts to open your eyes, right? And in terms of how do you engineer a future fit business? How do you design that right from the ground up? Because we're not talking about just bolting on one more service, one more proposition, you know, just opening up another category, blah, blah, whatever. This is fundamentally going back and almost starting with a clean sheet of paper saying, how do we build our business in a hugely disruptive but hugely positive way for the future. Yeah. Oh, you know, and we had Ahold Deleuze, you know, European CEO and Chief Digital Officers, on, on our keynote stage talking about launching a brand new and kind of announcing the launch of Ahold Deleuze Media Network at the event. So a, a brand new separate division designed to get after this opportunity. We had you know, Cafor talking about how it's only two years ago they created Cafor Links, yeah. which is their retail media network. They're already moving on from Cafor Links to create a brand new joint venture with Publicis. Yes. And the thinking for them was, you know, we looked at this and realized, okay, we had the reach, we had the scale, we had the data points, we had the customer base, but we did not have the marketing tools and the marketing capability to be able to genuinely offer the service that we wanted to meet the appetite and to meet our aspirations in the marketing world. So therefore, as work with with publicists, who with you know, Citrus Platform, et cetera, et cetera, they've got some mm. great tech and they've got some great expertise, they're thinking, bring it together and create a joint venture. So you know, just in the space of two years, Having seen that move on again with a different perspective, so it's going to be it's going to be a really rapidly changing area, and a fascinating one to continue to come and follow. Well, it is it is fascinating, and you know, probably in two years' time we'll be talking about a completely new shift as well, right? And it's right. bringing us really nicely round. It's sort of linking everything that we've been talking about and many more conversations that we heard, obviously, at Shop Talk Europe all together. And Ben, I just want to say thank you so much. We could dive into this for, I think, probably hours and hours, right? There was so much, so much content aside from all of the different one-on-one conversations and different vendor conversations. So, you know, it's, it's a really fascinating time. I'm, of course, hugely passionate about the topic. And obviously you are too, and all our listeners are. And it's, it's there's just so much to think about, so much to dive into. And what what a time to be in retail, right? Exactly. Yeah. And and the great thing is, we programmed like 35 hours of content 
across the event. So, you know, a half hour conversation, you can't, you know, there were some big, really big trends, whether that's how we enable and empower frontline workers, which is fascinating, <laughs> and how you can use them to, to, you know, to, to, to be part of your digital transformation. This whole idea of, kind of commerce everywhere and unified commerce and what's that really look like and what does that mean and how do you unpack that you know there's and then you know leadership how do you get the right leadership the right culture the right authenticity to be able to drive it yeah no there, there, there's, there's there's no shortage of things to talk about at the moment but uh <laughs> I, I i i feel i fear i'm at risk of overstaying my welcome <laughs> well no it's, it's been absolutely fantastic to catch up ben and like i say that there is this huge endless list of talking points that unless people are ready to tune in for a you know, 24 hour long podcast episode <laughs> we are going to have to uh, call it call it a day there but uh, I really appreciate you coming on to the Retail Transformation Show fab conversation and thank you very much for uh, hosting hosting it all at Shop Talk Europe oh, thanks very much for having me Ollie really appreciate it hope you enjoyed that conversation there with shop talks ben miller and if you'd like some additional episodes to check out then here are three to get started with back in episode 238 i shared my reflections and themes from shop talk europe 2023 and i might add that all of the topics in that conversation we did not bring up today so that's good lots of brand new ideas for you waiting there in episode 238 Data was again a big topic at Shop Talk Europe and in today's discussion. So check out an episode called How to Be a Data-Driven Retailer back in episode 124. That was at the end of our data mini-series. So it's got lots of different perspectives in there. And then finally, big disruptive change was a huge topic at Shop Talk and on many different retailers' minds. So check out episode 229 called To Disrupt or Not To Disrupt. And let me tell you, that is the question. So check out episode 229. And for links to all of those three episodes, you've got to head straight on over to the show notes today at obandco.uk slash 241. And saying it now, I'm sure we should have had some sort of promotional pun in there about two for one, right? <laughs> obandco.uk slash 241 Thanks for tuning in today Do remember to hit subscribe in your favourite podcast app and why not share the podcast with someone else who would enjoy listening. Thanks very much and I'll look forward to joining you in another episode very, very soon. Bye for now. Bye for now.